You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. Wherever we see these values happening, love is reigning. Whether you call it the reign of God or whether you call it a kingdom or whether you call it a kingdom or whether you call it a beloved community, it's love that's reigning in that moment. And however we name it, it's a human community rooted in love, in compassion, in safety, in equity, and justice. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 288 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of love and compassion, taking action and justice. Our title this week is A Kingless Kingdom, and our feature text is Mark 1.15. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Now, this week we're going to discuss the term kingdom in the Gospels and some possible relevance that it has to us today. In the early Hebrew Hebrew scriptures, we find two opposing narratives about having a king. The book of Judges is a, a pro-king narrative, but in the, the book of Samuel, we, we read this story. It's 1 Samuel 8, 8 through 21. It's a rather lengthy portion, so just bear with me. When they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights." Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughter to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and the olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants, your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he'll take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When the day, when the day comes, you will cry, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king that you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. So in this story, we read a a warning about the the transition that was taking place uh, during this time from a representative social structure uh, to uh, to imperialism, to to militarism, and something akin to to early feudalism. The, uh, you see this in the way that grain and 
and vintage and, and olive groves and flocks were all all turned over. And, and feudalism was the, the predecessor of today's more capitalist uh, structures. We, we also read a warning that for the author of that narrative, uh, to, to choose a king, he uses the word slavery. It would be a return to slavery. And our, our passage from Mark this week, our feature text, it suggests a possibility that the authors of the Jesus story may have sided with these anti-king narratives. The passage promotes a return to the kingdom of God or the reign of God. And reading the gospel narratives of of embracing God as king, uh, when you do that alongside Samuel's narrative of God expressing the people's rejection of him as king, I think it opens some very interesting interpretive possibilities. And we shouldn't read into the gospel's kingdom of God, uh, uh, that, that phrase, the kingdom of God. We shouldn't read into that uh, that language, the Christian uh, theocratic language uh, that the U.S. Christian right has pr- proposed here in the United States since the 1970s. The values of Jesus's kingdom, uh, I, I, I think, even though, and we're going to talk about that, that language, that, that phrase, kingdom of God, I still think that it can speak to us today without our having to refer uh, to kings or to stoke fear in the hearts of those who've suffered harm from Christian theocracies. Jesus's reign of God, it was it was characterized by not, uh, well, it wasn't characterized by enforcing dogmatic religious beliefs. It was characterized by structuring a society that would practice distributive justice. It would practice nonviolence. It would practice mutual care or resource sharing and wealth redistribution and equity and reparations and reconciliation and inclusion of marginalized people and, and, a, and a kind of egalitarianism. We've seen these principles before. Dr. Martin Luther King, he used to, to, to call this way of organizing society, he referred to it as the beloved kingdom. And now, According to the King Center, and this is from, uh, I'll, well, I'll give you a link to it from the King Center's webpage, uh, kingcenter.org. Um, but he used to, 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 according to the King Center, this is how uh, the beloved commu- what the beloved community meant for King. It was a term that was first coined in the early days of the 20th century by the philosopher theologian Josiah Royce, who, who founded the Fellowship of Reconciliation. Now, it was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who was also also a member of the Fellowship of Reconciliation, who then took the term and popularized it and, and invested it with a, a deep meaning, which has, has captured the imagination of, uh, of people of goodwill all over the world. And for King, the beloved community, it was rooted in the philosophy and the methods of nonviolence, first off. And it also envisioned a, an economic equity in which wealth was shared by the human community. And and again, this was a community where all discrimination, specifically racism, uh, would give way to new inclusive ways of of living together that recognized our our connectedness as humans. And each of us... um, it, it, it would look at each of us as part of one another, as, as part of a whole, that we were all uh, part of one another within the human family. And, and King's vision, it was also global. It looked toward a future globally where love and trust 
will triumph over fear and hatred, and peace and justice would prevail over war and military conflict. And, and it's not saying that conflicts would never arise. They, the, and conflicts between individuals, between groups, and even nations inevitably happen. But, but when these conflicts would arise, they would be resolved peacefully and through, through, through justice and, and through the spirit of kinship and goodwill. Uh, th there's another phrase that's being used today, which isn't the beloved community or the kingdom of God. Um, it, it's the kingdom. And some Christian feminists, I think they rightly name the patriarchal nature of the term kingdom. And, and, and th that term kingdom is problematic, and they've preferred the term kingdom, K-I-N-D-O-M. And, and, and they use that to refer to our interrelated connectedness as kin, as family, as part of the human family, that we're all connected to each other. We're all part of one another. We're all kin or, or kindred. And according to Melissa uh, Flora Bigsler, the term kingdom, it originated from a Franciscan nun named uh, Georgine Wilson, and I'll put a link to an article for that in, in this week's Eastside as well. But uh, I, I agree with fe Christian feminist Rita Haltman-Finger. She goes on to say, and I'll put a, a link to this article too, she states, I think kingdom is a good word and better reflects the kind of society Jesus envisions as a shared community of equals who serve each other. But in the political context of the day, and in the literary context of the sentence, the term kingdom was easily understood as well as in the 1600s when the King James Bible was translated. The Gospels do describe the kingdom of God. That's the phrase that's used. And in the context, in the cultural context, the political and social context of the Gospels, that was an alternative way of structuring a human community opposed or, or compared with over and against the, 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 the kingdom of Rome or, or the way that the Roman Empire structured human community. And the problem for us today is that the term kingdom, it is. It is deeply patriarchal, and it's too easily co-opted also by actual kingdoms, by empires, by oligarchies. European Christian history proves that. A kingdom has both a hierarchy and those that will inevitably be be pushed to the edges and the margins of that society. But Jesus's vision was a, a, a human community choosing a life-giving way of structuring itself, choosing to live out the values that we've listed above. And wherever we see these values happening, love is reigning. Whether you call it the reign of God or whether you call it a kingdom or whether you call it a kingdom or whether you call it a beloved community, it's love that's reigning in that moment. And however we name it, it's a human community rooted in love, in compassion, in safety, in equity, and justice. And for those uh, who associate abuse with the name of Jesus, it's a community where only love and justice reigns. It, love and justice reigns socially, politically, economically and personally. And for those who find, again, like me and others, the term kingdom problematic today, 
It's a community that's rooted in a more democratic structure where each group has a seat at the table and, and the voices of the most marginalized are the ones that are centered and prioritized. And for those who associate abuse with, with the terms God or heaven or anything Christian, the kingdom even doesn't have to be associated with religious dogma. Jesus demonstrated for us how to, to love and care for one another. And this realization alone can produce it can produce big enough questions for us. And until we answer how we're to best care for each other, we're going to have to remain content uh, to define God as love, just merely that, just as love, and seek to, to shape our human community after the universal truth of, of the golden rule. And I, we've talked about that before in the past. And leave it at that. Until that gives us enough on the table to work with, um, until we settle the questions of how to care for and, and treat one another as we would like to be treated. The questions of God and dogma and religion and all that stuff can wait. And lastly, Jesus didn't say that this community or kingdom was far off. It wasn't something that, that we would experience after death or at some distant point in the future. He called listeners to rethink uh, the status quo and to believe that another world was possible now. Another way of structuring human community was possible now. Uh, just as, as we saw in our feature text this week, he said the kingdom was near. It's here. It's now. It's near us. Uh, for us to choose today. And we can choose to, to keep it at arm's distance, or we can choose today to embrace, to, to embrace it. But it's still there. It's still waiting for us to choose it. And the, the question that remains for us is, is will we? Uh, this week, I want to extend once again as our, our last uh, uh, podcast in the month of, of May, a special request that we're putting out here at Renewed Heart Ministries. In response to, to, to last week's special request, uh, I received a message from one of our supporters. And, and to be honest with you, you, it made my my eyes tear up as I read it. Uh, it, it the, the, the person wrote, your, your work is wonderful and I count it a privilege to help in my small way. And what makes this message so touching to me is that this was from a person who daily seeks to survive uh, in our present society on the margins. They are one of those marginalized people. And it, it drove home to me how our work here at Renewed Heart Ministries is needed right now more than ever, especially within all that's happening in Christianity and in our larger society. And as I shared last week, most things have cycles, and, and ministries have cycles too. And, and this is our 12th year, and as we head into summer... This is one of the two times, it's this time of year and it's at the end of the year, where, where each year, Renewed Heart Ministries, we keenly feel the need for and we deeply appreciate uh, your support uh, of our work. And as many of you already know, all of our resources and the services that we provide, we provide those free of charge. When we speak at events, we don't charge a seminar fee, and, and all of the resources that we offer are, are available for free as well in one form or another on our website. And this enables us to speak into spaces that, 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 spaces that can't afford more expensive educational ministries. Those types of ministries just simply cannot reach uh, and serve them. So in order to do this, though, uh, 
to offer all of this for free, we are dependent uh, directly on your support. We, we couldn't exist or continue our work without the generous support of our, our sustaining donors and our partners. So we here at Renewed Heart Ministries, again, we believe that a different kind of Christianity is possible. We believe another world is possible as well. And so we're asking you at this time of year to partner with us in the work of, of following Jesus' teachings as are summarized in Luke 4, 18 through 19, and, and to participate in his work of love and compassion, inclusion, justice, and action. And, 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 and together, uh, we are making a difference. One heart, one mind, one life at a time. Um, I wish you could have heard some of the testimonies that we got back the, uh, earlier this week. Um, I'll be putting those in a, a news email that goes out. If you're not signed up for our free resources, sign up. I'll be sharing some of those in a, a, a news email and, and in next month's newsletter. Um, but but we are making a difference in people's lives, and, and together we're we're engaging a world that, that we believe can be shaped into a just, compassionate, and safe home uh, for all of us. And, and, and passages that confirm that for us are Matthew 6.10 and, and Matthew 5.5 5 and, and others. We, we, we're, we're, we're engaging this work. So to so support our work, um, you can go to our website at RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate on the top right-hand side. Or you can mail your gift to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 249. You can make your contribution a one-time gift or consider becoming one of our continuing monthly sustainers and select that option to make your gift uh, reoccurring. And, and remember, any amount helps regardless of the size, and I want to thank you in advance for, for choosing to support our work. We aren't going anywhere. Again, we've been here for 12 years. We're here for the, the long haul till the only world that remains, as we've covered uh, this week in our podcast and in our e-site, is a world where only love reigns. So from all of us here at Renewed Heart Ministries, thank you. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.